This is Bold Dominion, an explainer for state politics in a changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. I grew up with teachers. My mom and dad were both teachers. My grandmother was a teacher. My great-grandmother was also a teacher. So when I got to college, maybe that's why I took an interest in education policy. Why I started reading books by John Dewey and Paul Goodman and Jonathan Kozel. Especially Kozel, he took an ethnographic approach to describing the inequalities in our education system. Public education is sometimes purported to be this great equalizer, but Kozel showed me that it so often ends up replicating our social inequalities. Or as Kozel himself put it, children are not simply commodities to be herded into line and trained for the jobs that white people who live in segregated neighborhoods have available. Wonderful teachers should never let themselves be drill sergeants for the state. And there are so many wonderful teachers out there. Teachers who don't just view it as a job, but as a calling. Who want to change the world one child at a time. Which is why it's so disheartening to see education policy being bandied around in state capitals by so many lawmakers who've never taught a class. When I was growing up, my parents would sometimes gripe about new directives and fad curriculums that they had to deal with. Not that every idea was bad, but pretty much every new idea was presented as if the teachers themselves didn't really know how to do their jobs. It always seemed like the teachers were just the tools to be used by the consultant class. It's remarkable. We don't treat any other profession in this way. It needs to become a profession that is highly respected and not one that is viewed as something people go into just because they they weren't smart enough to do anything else. That's Mary McIntyre. She's a reading specialist at Jack Jewett Middle School in Almoral County. Today, we're looking at the state of public education teaching in Virginia. How parents already have the ability to be involved in their children's learning. And the serious shortages in teachers and substitute teachers across the state. Of course, the boogeyman of critical race theory. And the need to attract new teachers. And what's getting in the way of that? We start off today's show with Becca Saxon. She's a Uniserve director at the Virginia Education Association, and she takes us through the heavy influence of the state legislature and how it's adding to the challenges. Just to start off, can you talk a bit about your work with the Virginia Education Association and what prompted you to get involved? Certainly. So I am uh, what is called a Uniserve director, and um, we are the field staff people who are assigned to offices around the state of Virginia. We work directly with uh, our locals. Uh, so I have 12 locals that I work with around the state. Um, and then I, among other things, you know, serve as a liaison between the, our headquarters staff and our national affiliate and uh, the local leaders who are in the buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now, the big focus I have is on our collective bargaining campaigns. And for those who might not be familiar with the term, could you um, just explain what collective bargaining means um, and how it relates to teachers? Certainly. So collective bargaining is the process of a union negotiating the contract for a group of workers. Uh, in Virginia in 1977, uh, collective bargaining for public sector employees including teachers, was made illegal. And in 2020, after the sweep of all three, the governor's mansion and then both branches of General Assembly, the Democrats overturned that ban. So it was a 43-year ban at the time that got overturned. And then 
it was supposed to go into effect that July, July 1st, 2020. It's a permissive law. All it says is that you're allowed to bargain. It doesn't set any parameters for how that works at the local level. So it's kind of being built as we go. It got delayed by Governor Northam when COVID hit and there was the massive amounts of shutdowns. And so it finally, the law ended up going into effect May of 2021. And so now public sector uh, employee groups all over the state are all able to organize now as and unionize and then work together to negotiate a contract. And, and what type of tangible benefits uh, are teachers hoping to receive through collective bargaining in Virginia? So I think the last two years has shown first through COVID and then now with kind of the quick turnaround that has happened with the advent of the Youngkin administration, teachers have seen that public education is really at a crisis point, not just in the state of Virginia, but across the country, and that they really have very little say in what happens. So the COVID reopening plans across the country showed teachers just how important it was for there to be some agreements that they had been full participants in, as opposed to all of these major decisions being at the whim of a school board or now the governor, where he can just come in with the stroke of a pen and cause this much chaos in the curriculum and in the oversight of the schools and instill this much fear in people. And even seeing how the mass uh, issue has unfolded in the last couple of weeks, where there had been negotiations, there had been conversations going on, and then he can just, and, you know, there were lawsuits to, nego- to try and navigate the implications of what he had then done with his executive order, and then a, a law can just be passed, you know, at the whim of legislators, and we see this major change in what happens in the classroom. Um, and. So since the spring of, of 2021, roughly 33 million Americans have quit their jobs in this massive historical event that's been dubbed the Great Resignation. Are public school teachers also taking part in this movement? I think a lot of our uh, vacancies in public education now are teachers who uh, are eligible, were eligible for retirement benefits and had been planning to keep teaching. Uh, and then decided it just wasn't worth it. And so they have gone ahead and retired um, and not necessarily early, but, you know, earlier than they had intended to. And then and we're seeing, I think, a lot of younger teachers who are realizing that the salary they make as a teacher is not worth the amount of stress. And so moms of young children, especially with how difficult it is to figure out daycare right now, if they can afford it, they're, you know, on a leave of absence or they've quit their job and are hoping maybe to go back to it later, but are not, you know, may or may not be uh, looking at being in a classroom when they go back to work. Uh, so, you, so you talked a bit about teachers' authority being undermined by uh, sweeping executive orders. Are there other big challenges that public school teachers specifically in Virginia are facing? 
I mean, if there's one thing we have seen in the last uh, now, you know, going into our third year of it, uh, you know, kids have not learned what they would have historically been on track to master. And whether that's, you know, some people would say that's because virtual school wasn't as effective. Some people would say it's because children have gone through an incredible period of upheaval themselves. And it's a little bit unreasonable to think that they're going to still master academic milestones at the same level they would have had there been no disruption. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure right now by a lot of people to get, you know, the schools back on track and to get the kids caught up. And I put caught up in quotation marks because I don't really know that there's a way to catch them up after what they've been through. And so some teachers are really it's showing them that this is almost a level of educational malpractice that they're being asked to engage in because it is not paying attention to the needs of the children and the children are not the focus of what's happening in schools right now because of the competing energy and uh, needs of so many other people that folks are saying, I, this isn't something I can continue to be part of. Do you think it's substantially harder to be a teacher, a public school teacher in Virginia compared to in, in other states in terms of salary or just other aspects of, of, yeah. the, of the job? So we have definitely seen, if, if you look across the country, that teacher turnover, while it's bad everywhere right now, it is especially bad in states and in localities that do not have the stability of a collectively bargained contract. Right now, teachers, you know, if you don't have that contract, you're kind of at the whim of everybody else. And so your classroom boat just sort of blows where the wind goes versus if you've got that contract, uh, at least the, the course is set out for you. So yes, we are seeing that it is harder, both in terms of the amount of money you make, but also in terms of the amount of control you have over the day-to-day -day de decisions of your classroom, that teachers in Virginia have a really difficult time of it. I mean, we've got the, the largest gap in Virginia between what teachers make and what other college-educated graduates make, but we are one of the wealthier states, and yet our schools are chronically underfunded, and that money does not make it into the pockets of the, of the educators. Nobody goes into teaching to become wealthy, and so really people start talking about their salaries in two situations. It's when they can't afford to live, which is what we're seeing right now for educators, and it's when the amount of non-teaching related stress that they're put under makes them say, you can't pay me enough to put up with all of this. And so right now we're seeing both of those things. So Governor Glenn Youngkin made education a, a big part of his campaign platform. And he specifically promised to give parents more authority over what their kids are learning in schools. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to concerns about parents not getting an, enough of a say in their children's school curricula? So, I mean, it's ironic because the entire reason we have the SOL program that we have, the, you know, the state standards of learning, and then the, the high stakes tests that go with that is because of a Republican initiative. And that's really what drives the majority of our curriculum and the majority of the learning cycle in a school. And so for the Republicans to say, we're going to come in and give parents more control over that when the vast majority of what is covered in a year is 
set not by the schools and not by the teachers, but by the, the legislature. And it was created when it was a Republican-dominated system. Really shows, I think, that there's a whole lot of messaging that the Republicans did really well, but that it's not necessarily the reality that it's the teachers and the school board and the principal who are stopping them from being able to have this control. I think we, we need to allow localities and families to work together to come up with what are the values of this community that we want to see communicated to children. So what kind of role do you think parents should play in deciding what teachers are choosing to teach students? I think that there have always been, or there should have always been opportunities. Looking at what's happening in uh, the city of Charlottesville and in Albemarle County, there have been some changes in what they teach in terms of history and the novels that they choose. And, you know, there have been issues with they've, where they've changed the math curriculum. And typically when those things happen, the school system does a huge amount of outreach, you know, has parent seminars on this is the new math curriculum that we're going to be using. And here's how you can help your child with their math homework from now on. And the same thing can happen with some of the history. I mean, it's a great opportunity if we're focusing on local history for the first time ever in a real meaningful way and in an authentic way. Doesn't it make sense that we make sure that the families are learning that alongside their children? So it demystifies it. And then buzzwords like CRT and, you know, all of that stuff don't have as much power. How would you characterize the state of public education in Virginia right now? I really think that our democracy is based on a couple of things. One of those things, you know, is who has access to the type of education that will lead you to be an informed citizen, to be an aware citizen who has compassion and empathy, and who is able to engage in the civic process to make the changes that we need to make. And so what I really think we're seeing right now in Virginia is a fight over that access to our democracy. And because our public schools are one of the bedrocks of our democracy, it's unfortunate that our kids are being used as a pawn, but it's not surprising. And so I think we're going to see that this continues for a while. I think that the Republicans have found a winning message, but ultimately what they want is not to do much to the public schools. They really want to create um, a second avenue for publicly funded schooling where it is controlled by businesses and by boards that are unaccountable to the electorate by creating these charter schools and these lab schools and this, you know, and vouchers for private schools. Becca Saxon is a Uniserve director at the Virginia Education Association. Stick around. In the second half of the episode, we're getting a boots-on-the-ground perspective from a current middle school reading teacher. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. Have a friend who's trying to get into state politics? Well, tell them about this show, and then subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served up. Hey, and while you're there, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. We like those.
Bold Dominion is a member of Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. Check out all the podcasts from the collective, from science to history to music to community affairs. We amplify the voices of people in our community and help them tell stories that matter. You can listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. So now Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin campaigned hard last year on education issues. But carrying out Youngkin's proposals is no simple matter. And meanwhile, Virginia is facing teacher and substitute teacher shortages, and we need to attract more young people to the field. Our next guest has her boots on the ground with these issues. Mary McIntyre is a middle school reading specialist at Jack Jewett Middle School in Albemarle County. So what have the past two years been like for you as a public school educator? Wow. Well, difficult is a word that comes to mind immediately, but complex, intense, challenging, frustrating. I know there are a lot of, they seem like a lot of negative words, but in the same, in the same time, it has been um, rewarding. It's been a time of growth and connection for us with our students. And it has uh, pushed all of us in the school to level up our skills. We've improved our use of technology, Um, our communication with families and connection with students just had to improve because of the pandemic and virtual teaching and virtual learning. So it wasn't all bad, but but it has been a very hard uh, past two-ish years. So I know there's currently a teacher shortage in Virginia have you and the school you work at been personally affected by, by the shortage? Has it affected every day in our workings of the school? Yes, in a few ways. We, uh, we had openings that were posted for different positions in the school, and, and we were not getting applicants. And so in the past, in our school division, we would have for one opening, I don't 10 maybe 12 applicants and we had job postings that were just sitting for a very long time if there were applicants they weren't perhaps uh, licensed or qualified in that particular area so it it did affect my school in particular but it is affecting the division Um, and what it means is that the class sizes of the teachers that we do have had to be higher than we would like them to be and that makes both teaching and learning harder when you have teachers who have more students in the classroom than is ideal. Um, They can't spend as much time individually. It's harder for students to ask questions and get their questions answered. It affects us because of the substitute shortage. I mean, we just cannot get substitutes to come into the building. And I understand why it's, it's not just because substitute pay is so low. I mean, the, there are not many people who are willing to be on call essentially and uh, take a job at the last minute. A lot of people would like a regular schedule. Um, it is a challenge because they're limited by the quality of the lessons that are left for them. And then as we all know, kids love to give subs a hard time. So it's just tough to go from room to room and, and subbing in general. I have done it and it is it is a hard job. So. They did recently raise sub pay in our division from, I think it was around $95, and now it's at about $140 per day, and that's a significant increase. It does not seem like it is bringing waves of people into our schools, though. So because we have not had subs, we are losing our planning time to cover each other's classes. Um, we're, we're struggling to teach content that we don't have any experience in. I am a reading specialist. You do not want me to try to teach people math, but I've done my best. 
Um, and it just, it becomes a major, major stressor for us, the mm-hmm. shortage. Mm-hmm. And do you think it's largely as a result of the pandemic that people are leaving their teaching careers or are there other driving factors? The pandemic was the last straw or has been the last straw for a lot of people, but it's certainly not the only reason. This has been a very slow moving thing. Um, We've seen it coming for a long time. I think we've been predicting that there was going to be a teacher shortage because the teacher training programs at the universities and colleges have been saying they have fewer applicants, they have fewer students coming through, and that means there will be fewer teachers graduating and becoming um, a professional educator. So unless we do something significant to try to attract young people into the profession, and it's not just money, they need to be passionate about educating and working with young people. Certainly, I think paying teachers more money is one of the things that is going to, it's just, it's going to have to be part of the equation of how they are trying to both keep the teachers that they have, but also recruit new teachers, but also benefits, working conditions. We need more planning time. We want smaller class sizes. We want to work in buildings that are not falling apart. We would like there to be enough buses to get all of our children to school. We would like schedules that do not run us ragged all day long. We would love bosses and administrators who ask us what we need and then listen when we tell them and then try as hard as they can to give it to us. And so some of those things, the things that they could do to make our jobs easier don't cost any money. And it doesn't seem like it's genuinely going to happen, that they're going to make the changes that we request. And the changes that you just listed, where would those have to happen? Is that at the state level? Is that with the school boards on a more local level? Well, a lot of the control of schools is at the local level. So uh, some of that are decisions by the school board. Some, Some decisions are building level decisions. I mean, only part of each school division's budget comes from the state. So while yes, we need the state contribution to schools, public schools budgets to to be higher for sure, that's an important thing that needs to happen. Um, It's up to each locality to make some of these decisions for themselves. And so the, the leadership, the staffing ratios that they use, those are all come into play and that's a local decision. It's not necessarily mandated unless it's related to something like federal funding or state funding. So for instance, special education, um, the money that is specifically allocated for those kinds of things, the locality does not have as much leeway with them. But some, some decisions like schedules could be even at the building level. And so when you have uh, one school on one kind of a schedule with one kind of staffing and then right on the same street, but a few miles down, you have another school that has a completely different experience. Um, You can run into situations where it, it makes it hard. Not that every school needs to be run exactly the same way, but I think that part of the process that no one really wants to talk about is that we need to have teachers involved in some of the decision making. And we need to continually be seeking feedback from the teachers as far as what is working. Just shifting gears a bit, but I want to talk about what it's been like teaching under the new governor. What has been your reaction to Youngkin's education platform and policies? Well, uh, he hasn't been governor for that long, so I think some of it still remains to be seen. Um, I, I think 
raising salaries is a really important thing. And so I hope he follows through with that campaign promise. Um, we do have to acknowledge the governor only has control over certain things. And so I think some of the things that he has said he wants to do are not even really in his power to do, but salaries he can influence for sure. So I, I hope that he does. Um, the tip line kind of made me laugh because I, I mean, what's divisive to one person could be completely not divisive to another. And so I think, where does it end? Um, we don't even know where it begins and where it ends. Uh, I would be interested to see what kind of complaints people are getting because what I've seen with my eyes and heard with my ears and experienced both as a parent with children in public schools and as a teacher who works in one every single day, I just don't see a lot of divisive discussion or supposed indoctrination happening in, in the schools. And so if people have evidence of that or it truly is a thing, um, then I suppose that that evidence is going to come forward. Uh, the mask mandate, you know, luckily the surge is going down and I think that it is going to become more safe to be around people who are not wearing a mask. I, I still think that it seems like an easy way that we can try to keep each other safe. And I, I understand people want it to be um, a parent choice and personal choice, but it does make it difficult. There are some parents who say that they want us to force their children to keep their mask on all day when the, when the mask mandate is finally lifted. And there are some parents who this entire time have been trying to say, no, I don't want my child masked. Well, we are not the ones in making these decisions. We have very little power, but we're stuck in the middle of this. Also, um, I'm a little bit worried because we cannot predict the future and we don't know if another surge is gonna come. And the way that the law was written, uh, well, the governor's executive order, and then now what has been passed into law, um, there cannot be any more mass mandates. And I worry that we've taken away a really important tool to protect ourselves in the future. Critical race theory has been a big thing in the news. This national debate over critical race theory and what teachers should be teaching students, is that happening at the local level as well? To my knowledge, I don't know anyone across Virginia, and I have colleagues and friends that teach in school districts all over the place. None of us know what people are talking about. Um, discussing race, and, this, and especially when we're teaching history and things about civil rights, that is not critical race theory. Um, trying to teach the truth about the history of our country is not critical race theory, to my knowledge. Um, but I think that that in some instances there are parents who have just heard what other people have said and believed it instead of actually trying to find out what is being dis discussed in the schools and what we actually are doing. And I know it, it also has pushed forward um, parents saying that they want more transparency in what is being taught in the schools. And some, some people want teachers to have to post all of their lesson plans online ahead of time for parents to review. We have been putting our lessons online for years. We use a platform called Schoology and um, our homework, our assignments, our slideshows, it is all there for parents to see. And so few parents have ever logged in to even look at it. So I'm just not sure that, that the desire is really there. I think that there are a few people who became very upset and concerned about it and they have kind of gotten a lot of attention and made it seem like there actually are more people upset by this than really are. But with that said, locally here, uh, our school division passed an anti-racism policy in 2019 and has actively made sure that our staff is focused on anti-racism 
and that we are doing our best to have all of our students succeed and remove barriers for them and eliminate the opportunity gap. What do you think local and state policymakers should do to improve the situation for teachers, to recruit more teachers, aside from like higher pay as we discussed in benefits? Is there anything else in particular? It's a good question. Um, it, it's very expensive to get a college degree. And when you are going for a four-year or a five-year degree and you're leaving with massive amount of debt, if you didn't have parents who could pay for your education for you, it's, I think that one of the things that they could do is to either subsidize or perhaps provide very low rate loans for people who are intending to go into education. If they're majoring in education at the, at the college level. Um, I think there are certainly ways that they could recruit people into the teaching force at young ages. They could allow students to have internships in high school. Uh, They could create specialized training programs, just like we have in vocational schools. I think that that benefits are important. Retirement benefits are, are certainly something that a lot of people worry about because it has increasingly become investment-based and based on the market. And very few people want to know that if the market crashes, they could lose all of their retirement savings. So uh, it needs to become a profession that is highly respected and not one that is viewed as something people go into just because they, they weren't smart enough to do anything else. Mary McIntyre is a middle school reading specialist in Albemarle County. Thanks to her and also to Becca Saxon from the Virginia Education Association. My name is Nathan Moore and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Thanks so much this week to our producer, Esther Erickson Van Allman, and to our editor, Katherine Hansen. You can find us online at bolddominion.org. And don't forget to subscribe. It's just a click away.